Hello strangers and welcome to episode 45 of Strangers in a Cinema, a podcast about films and stuff. We've gone back to that again this week. Uh, you're here with Paul Anderson. I'm going to do this with a bit more enthusiasm this week, guys. Not that one, or that one, but this one, and Pete Wall and Jack Mills. Not the two, <laughs> not the two millionaire filmmakers, one of whom is brilliant, one of whom is terrible, but uh, this guy... Yes, seems to be all about me this intro at the moment yeah. So, yeah. Good, good to be back uh, for episode 45 As always it's a pleasure to be in front of the microphone And ready to get going with our rundown of all the film related stuff That we've got to get off the top of our heads this week um, We've got a single feature this time Paul It's a little bit different to what we've been doing recently But that's because well the film in question is Wonder Woman It's made quite a big splash at the box office And there's a lot to say about it I would say So it's worthy of giving it yep. full sort of feature treatment this time round. But aside from that, we've got all the regular elements of the show, starting with the In the Foyer section, where we're going to talk about something from the world of films that we've been thinking about this week, have a little chat there. Then we'll get into popcorn movies, where uh, Paul and I will exchange movies that we've seen over the last week and what we thought about them, including the homework assignments that we were set last week. In my case, I had to watch... What was it you sent me, Paul? Rover. The Rover, right? The Rover by David Michon, I think is we're now going for his name. <laughs> we'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, for, and for you, Paul, you had... I had Dark Horse by Todd Solons. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Two, two easy names there for then us. We've got a couple of other re reviews in that section. We'll get to the coming attractions section where we'll preview a film that's going to be released in the next few months. We'll get to the feature of Wonder Woman, as mentioned, and then finally we'll close out by setting new homework for the week ahead for the two of us. Uh, of course, Jack is here as well to pitch in, so we're three strong in yes. front of the microphone Well, if today. you hear my voice, then you know it's me. So <laughs> yeah. I look forward to the Wonder Woman bit. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. And uh, yeah, just wanted to mention at this point, you can get in touch with us via at Strangers Cinema, our Twitter handle, also through the Facebook page, Strangers in a Cinema, and um, where else, Paul? Instagram. Instagram, yeah, that thing's getting off the you ground. You can tell when finally. Pete posts because it's quite amusingly written, and you can tell when I post because it's not amusingly written. So, uh, yes, I, I we are both go, posting to Instagram I was on a, go a different way. basis. But. I was going to go a different way. I was going to say, you can tell when I post because it's like a high resolution po uh, photo when it's Paul's post. I say this, this is was, because. This was. <laughs> twice in quite twice. a long time ago now twice in... so basically always it's like a <laughs> a low quality grainy photo no but, but i i joke i mean uh we're up in our game on social media terms and anybody who wants to get in touch with us feel free anytime let's stop with all this chit chat and get to the in the foyer section eh paul let's <laughs> so I, my thing I wanted to discuss uh, this week and just to see your guys thoughts on it really um, I was reading in the news as I do and I find, I do, I'm a big fan of the Guardians film section not so much Peter Bradshaw, sorry Peter uh, but certainly the film section um, and this is an article I picked up in there so this is the news that um, there is some discussion that UK low budget filmmakers are seriously struggling to find funding at the moment um, based on this is, this is a change? This well, not, not necessarily. No, not necessarily, but perhaps even okay, struggling even more than, right. than they have been. I think um, based on the fact that studios are becoming more and more risk averse. Um, obviously, plumbing their money directly into blockbusters, which I th again, this, whether this is a change or not, is, is kind of up for really? discussion, really. But I think the the other issue that that apparently they're finding is that people are a lot of talents moving to television. Um, so there's not really a, either, either the budget goes to big budget TV shows or it goes to big budget films there's not really any room left for filmmakers mm. um, now I don't is this a problem really because obviously you know well written television and film are quite 
quite close together, I think, in terms of the talent it takes to make them. Do you think this is an issue? Do you think this this is a problem? Or Well, I'd kick off from, from my part with the fact that I suppose those lines are getting increasingly blurred, aren't they? I mean, what we used to call television doesn't really work yeah, as a strange, description right, of the medium anymore because we know televisual television right we know sort of soap operas mm-hmm. and things like that which are very much within that box but a lot of the premium stuff that we've even talked about on on this show despite being sort of a cinema film oriented show um has been something that you can put sort of alongside mm. what we'd previously perceived to be sort of filmmaking or cinema so i suppose the the issue is sort of muddied by the fact that it's not as easy to see where film ends and television starts to a certain extent. I suppose for me the the line and yeah, the, I suppose for me the the line would be is something episodic. I suppose, but then films are episodic. Look at the, I mean, taking a, a big budget, a very big budget example. The Marvel films are essentially episodes of a larger series, sure, aren't they? So sure. is that not that actually that, that's an interesting point because that draw that blurs the line the other way because mm. surely to me now the Marvel films certainly certainly the Doctor Strange and all those are a part of a potentially like a cinematic TV series. Right. And, so, and where do you go on something like the, the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, where do you go for the sort of uh, filler sections between some of those movies to, TV. to streaming television? Mm. Well, what, what yeah, we used to call absolutely. television, right? And, and you get a lot more back, background for those movies yeah, from your next Netflix series. And so it's a, it's a strange thing. And then, yeah, you've got those shows, like the, I don't know, recently it flopped a bit, didn't it? But Iron Fist, for example, yeah. that was yeah. a big launch on Netflix, whereby those are episodic but they're telling a sort of on a smaller budget but they're selling like as grand of a it's story a street level those are the sort of the street level crimes mm. and stuff like that i'm looking forward to the defenders actually yeah which is all four of them i mean yeah that's that's an interesting thing that you brought up paul i think the the superhero element of the marketplace but aside from that mm. how do you think this is going to sort of play out in the future as far, in terms of other kinds of filmmakers making drama or horrors or comedy or, or whatever it might be. I don't know. I think I think that it may, as much as it's great to have talented people working anywhere, and if TV talent attracts talented people, I'd rather they worked in TV and than not at all. But I do think it could harm filmmaking in the long run because there's still something for me that I think I say prefer. I would no. I would say personally, I would. I think I still would prefer a tightly told story in a film than a lot of TV shows. And I think there's. There's there's art to both, and I think and I don't think everyone's capable of doing both, and it would be a shame to see it would be a shame to see budget going to mediocre television shows rather than good independently produced films, if that makes sense. Yeah, that would I mean, be that would be my concern. If, yeah, if it rolls out, if it sort of plays out that way, where we're losing quality, which, which it probably will, which is the way it normally plays quality. out when I mean, money's involved. So, so where's the the hope? Because goodness knows in the week that we are having we need some hope on some kind yes. of front. where is the hope for sort of independent filmmaking in the future do, do we think i mean is there is there anything where you can see this turning a corner or getting better or being improved well, in maybe in maybe in and again <laughs> we bring that we seem to bring them up every single week but netflix maybe you've got you've got a, a happy middle ground where films are funded and made for streaming service or maybe made for the bbc to show but aren't actually BBC TV films as we know them but actual films mm. um, that are then just played on, on TV rather than in cinemas well, and what that f- may be the way forward but and like with a platform like Film 4 for example yeah. that's traditionally over the last 20 years done a lot of funding of medium sized yeah. independent British productions and, and it's, it's hard that distinction may seem a bit vague to people listening but I think you'll know what I mean by not TV films as in not feature 90 minute feature length TV dramas I mean actual 
actual well-produced well not well-produced is the wrong word but actually film production so films not 90 minute feature drama yeah I think, sense, but. I think the thing is you mentioned about Netflix and we've kind of touched on this in previous conversations that have involved their streaming service but the the fear for me is that there's going to be too much of a monopoly in the marketplace where Netflix a company of that size is going to have too much control over what is deemed to be worth pushing and mm. what is deemed not worth pushing I mean I always try and shoehorn in a reference to MMA so I'm going to do so again now <laughs> the the dominant organization in MMA you know is UFC the UFC everybody knows this name but the problem is with that organization they hoover up so many of the top athletes that some of those guys and girls are sort of um their careers are sort of slipping away from them because they're never getting the push that they might get if there was someone who had a real passion for pushing what they do. Now, to bring this back to films, what I feel like we need is a is a wider variety of streaming platforms which are maybe more geared towards supporting independent filmmakers. Like, look at the... You do uh, have Curzon and the BFI player, but absolutely. from what you've said, they're... They've got a ways to go. I mean, Curzon's a bit very expensive. The BFI player had technical issues, at least when I was using it. Um, But yeah, hopefully in the future that gets better and better. At the same time, some service like BFI has to service, uh, you know, classic archived films from absolute behemoths of cinema as well as trying to but pump see, I'd, attention. But see, BFI player, unless I'm mistaken, is not a subscription-based service, is it? You, do you pay as you go for what you watch? BFI player is a subscription service in so much as there's a sort of um, eat all you can, watch all you can buffet style, uh, but there are films that are excluded behind a paywall See, from this is service. the problem with that. those services. If I think I think they're, they're crying out for it. And Curzon, and Curzon, again, I'd quite happily pay... I'd quite happily pay the cost that I pay for my Cineworld Unlimited card to watch stuff in Curzon, to watch films like Raw, mm. to watch Personal Shopper, the films that don't get a well, wide all the release. Things that to, we bemoan yeah. not coming out here at the yeah, cinema. Yeah, I'd, right? I'd happily probably pay another £15 a month to watch those on Curzon at home. Mm. But I don't want to pay £10 a film every time I want to watch a film. I'd, if they had a monthly pass, I think people, I think that would make them quite quite a lot of money to I mean we, we do know of smaller services like the one that picked up um, James Webber's horror short that yeah. we reviewed on this right um, there are platforms whereby they're supporting like indie filmmakers and there is Mo- I think there's Mubi that's out there at the moment stuff as like well that's yeah. doing slightly different stuff but it's, it's not new they just the need they've got a ways to go I yeah. think to, to maybe make up for what to bring it back to the beginning of this conversation what we might inevitably be losing in terms of indie film making its yeah. way into a cinema right yeah um I, I, how, do we come out of that with any positives? <laughs> Possibly. There's potential. I was trying to think of some. There's um, potential yeah. there. For that that wasn't my intention to bring everyone down. Pete, have you got anything Have you got anything more cheery for us? Um, I've got the cheery prospect of us stepping up to a welcoming popcorn counter, man, and talking about some films that we've been watching, because I think that's what we should do right about now. Um, Paul, kick us off, if you will. What have you seen? Possibly on a streaming service, possibly in a cinema, possibly, uh, I don't know how you get your your selection of movies you got this time but what have you seen this week um, I'm going to start with and I say pr- bringing some positivity back to it um, I'm going to start with a film called Unfriended <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah. um, which is a horror film a horror film slash thriller um, about a, a group of kids who are basically ha- possibly haunted by the spectre of a friend who killed herself online um, I think due possibly due to them bullying her cyberbullying online to cyberbullying yes there we go look at the, look down with the kids there mm. um, that's a big problem and I was dubious about this film to be honest and the, the intriguing premise of it is and I think I have to get in there which is probably the only reason I watched it because it's not the kind of thing I'd normally gravitate towards is the fact the whole film is set 
Would you say Peter's fair to say it's set on a computer screen? Yeah, that's I mean, a good way to describe that's it. That's the, the high concept here, yeah. really, isn't it? That all of the action that we see takes place in chat windows, on web pages, on Skype converse, video conversation features prominently throughout, yeah. and we never really leave that. Well, we don't at all. We yeah, just leave that with... medium for present presenting the the events, which might seem unbelievably frustrating as a movie going or sort of you know home cinema which watching I th- experience which I thought it would be mm. um, and you know what it, it's not no, it's, no don't get me you. wrong I'm not going to sit there and say that Unfriended is, is, is a classic of the horror genre or is a particularly fantastic film it, it's not great um, but what we get is actually surprisingly watchable and the, the gimmick it's, it's only an hour and 22 minutes which I think helps a lot Um for me, the gimmick wears thin in places, but certainly you're not as bored as you think you'd be just by statically looking at screen. Whether or not they can pull it off twice, because I believe a sequel's rumored, I don't think it would work a second time round. But I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was too bad. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I mean, Paul, you've seen it, haven't you? Paul, Paul, well. you yes, I have. Um, Paul, if you had to guess why a sequel might be mooted, what, why would you imagine that would be? Because Unfriended cost about forty-seven p to make and returned at least forty-seven million pounds <laughs> at the we, box office. We have ourselves an online winner. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the the budget for Unfriended is an estimated one million US dollars, right. and the opening weekend takings were close to sixteen million dollars. Wow, okay, uh, that's quite, since, that's quite profitable. Yes, <laughs> since then, yeah, US it's grossed thirty-one million, and worldwide, I'm sure more than that you know, wow, by, by okay. a couple of times so um, yeah your director that I think you've maybe mentioned already um, has yeah put himself in a lot of people's good graces I think with this piece of work but yeah I, I agree with you man like it, it's the kind of thing that could have turned out really really annoying and sort of posy and it he basically pulled off what was sort of an experimental yeah. piece of work and I think this would play very well in a double bill with that film I talked about not too long ago called Nerve which is Ariel Shulman uh, yes. um, and the other guy who made Catfish uh, their movie about sort of the dangers of technology on particularly and specifically the younger generation. Um, this one, funnily enough, is 2014. It feels a little bit more dated than that, I think. Maybe that's in the turnaround of the produ- production, the way that like technology jumps forward exponentially. I-, I felt like in certain sections, it felt a little bit behind the curve. This shows how out of date I am with technology. I thought it was brand new. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, I, did, I wasn't even, didn't even clock it was 2014. I thought it'd right, come out a lot right, more recently. Than right, Gramps. So. Well, then I'll uh, <laughs> I'll take us on to it. And one of the new uh, one of the new talkies that's uh, been released at the Picture House <laughs> just recently is uh, Bonnie and Clyde from uh, 1967, and that that's my first pick for this week. Uh, again, we I feel like I keep saying this on the show, but this is one where I feel really embarrassed. I've never seen it before. I've got a confession to make. I've actually never seen Bonnie and well, Clyde I'm, either. I, so. I appreciate your candor. Have you seen this, Jack? No, I haven't. Um, well, here we go. Brave <laughs> yes. new frontier. Yeah, this was directed by uh, Arthur Penn. Um, stars uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, who, who of course were caught up in that whole Oscars, who actually got the award and who didn't, right? They were yeah. the presenters on stage at the time. Um, and it is the story of uh, Bonnie Parker, pay, played by Faye Dunaway, who is a bored waitress. She falls in love with a kind of uh, rough around the edges ex-convict uh, called Clyde Barrow part of the Barrow Boys group gang um, it's based on a true story and it charts their blossoming romantic relationship as Bonnie is kind of caught in the slipstream of this ex-con and goes off on a sort of reign of terror over the local area robbing banks kicking people's heads in and stealing cars um, it's exactly what I needed when I watched this I watched this <laughs> at the end of what was, and you know, anybody living in the UK or probably worldwide knows a terribly, terribly sad 
weekend, um, particularly with the news that occurred, you know, from Saturday night until yes. the morning, uh, with the events in London. And, and I caught this uh, later yesterday, so Sunday, and it and it really lifted me. I think that um, the the very centre of this film is two people on the run from the Great Depression, and it it struck me when I was looking for something to watch and talk about on this show that there's a sort of um, a sort of malaise that I think is falling over a lot of the country and at least me on a personal level can you know and I think we can all be hit quite hard by these kinds of events that we hear about in the news now yes there's a lot of violence yes there's a lot of sort of bad behavior and law breaking but there's something so that feels so sort of romantic about not only the relationship here but the production of, of Bonnie and Clyde in fact the relationship itself um, you know was something that I suppose I didn't know much more about than the name right Bonnie and Clyde you always think like lovers on the run and that's pretty much all I've got yeah. there's a big theme of sort of impotence in this movie and how uh, the Clyde character's unable to uh, give himself uh, okay. should we say to his, his well, partner well, okay. for, for large stretches yeah there are things moving below the surface there are themes at play here that are really interesting I think and above and beyond it all Faye Dunaway is just like luminous in this film with such a, a charisma and sense of humour and a a, a line delivery that will just like charm your socks off. So yeah, um, big recommendation. It took me a long time to catch up with it, but that's Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. Excellent. Well, I will, fi I will find that actually, because uh, yeah, it's always nice, as you say, it's nice to have these films sometimes that you haven't seen. Mm. So that it's like a, you, you, it's, you treat yourself essentially, don't you, to uh, to some classics. So I will, uh, I will check that out post haste, I think. Um, which brings me to my second popcorn pick, which is a film that um, that pleasantly surprised me. Um, and my dad, God rest his soul, was trying to get me to watch this film for many years uh, and I never got round to it, um, so I won't be able to talk to him about it but I can talk about it now, uh, which is a film called Wild Bill directed by Dexter Fletcher. Now, was this a recommendation of your dad's? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this was a recommendation of my dad's. Um, now, he said to me that it will just ignore the cover because as far as he's concerned from the cover it looked like the same old gangster shit. Um, <laughs> is this Dexter Fletcher from Games Master? E That's who we're yes. talking about. Yeah, yes. it's the same guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, and from the cover, yes, indeed it does look like uh, subpar, um, trashy, uh, awful, terrible, cliched, mockney gangster film. But it's not. Um, but it, it really isn't. I mean, you've seen this it's record, got, you It's think. got a lot of sort of family resemblance. Yeah, so it, is, it, is it family or family? Yeah, it's family. a little bit. It's a little family, bit family yeah. but um, yeah. yeah. So basically, the, the the crux of it is um, you've got uh, a guy gets out of prison and tries to reconnect with his kids who've basically been living by themselves. Um, Will Poulter is one of the kids um, who is now a lot more famous than he was. Is, I think yeah. when this came out. Absolutely. My girlfriend um, saw him in a bar recently. Yeah, so I remember you saying <laughs> oh, well, this. Okay. Love um, dropping that name when she got yeah. out. So and so basically, he he comes out of jail and has to try and reconnect with his children, but at the same time, also comes to terms with the fact that he's been a bit of a gangster in his past life. So the gangster elements are there, but what you actually get, and what I what I found anyway, was it certainly it was actually a very very touching drama that really really defied expectation. Yeah, was was quite light hearted in places, certainly funny in places, and actually quite quite emotional, quite emotional others. So it was a very pleasant surprise. And do do not listen to the box cover. Not that that makes any noise, but <laughs> you've seen where I'm coming from. I think shut up. Yeah, you know, that old yeah. age thing of judging a book by a cover. You know, yeah. And, and I think that you know the 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 market the film producers the production company has got a lot to answer for when they do when they market films in a certain way because that's yeah. what it looks like. It's like wild bill with two fists on the yeah. cover. Oh, I, I can't know see the one, one you yeah. mean yeah. now, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've never wanted to see yeah. that. And at just all. just for the benefit of people at home, I did just do two fists. But again, <laughs> like two weeks in a row, <laughs> I've, I've done things on a podcast you can't see at home. So <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, so Wild Bill, um, highly recommended. Check it out. Nice. Um, I've got one. Yeah, I was mentioning this to Jack just before we started recording, but uh, quite excited to talk about a documentary that I caught from nowhere on, on Netflix uh, called Gringo, The Dangerous Life of John McAfee. Where do we know the name McAfee from? Is this, I saw that you posted this on Instagram earlier, and having worked, I, I'm going to take a guess here, yeah. and I did work in IT, is this McAfee from McAfee's Antivirus? It is the one and same. I thought it might uh, be, John yes. McAfee of McAfee Antivirus Software, a guy who made his millions in sort of Silicon Valley, I guess, in the 1980s um, with his startup, McAfee Company, McAfee Enterprises, or whatever they ended up being called, and of course, the flagship antivirus software that most people at some time have had on their home computers, right? Uh, turns out that after the success of the antivirus um, thing, John McAfee went in a very different direction. Um, I suppose we could say, you know, he, in, a, in the Walter White sense, he broke bad. Um, he... It, as this documentary, I should, I should say some stuff about the, the film itself. Nanette Burstein is the filmmaker here who decided that she wanted to chart the life of John McAfee once he left to live his life on the island of Belize, um, a place where it seems like initially he decided he was going to develop some sort of new um, pharmaceuticals. I think of the legal kind, that was the intention. Um, and he hired a young aspiring scientist, uh, female scientist, to work in a purpose-built laboratory in Belize to create these uh, new miracle cures and new drugs that were going to, you know, take the world by storm and be his next big venture. That didn't really work out. I think they didn't really have the resources. Maybe she was in over her head and he was certainly mm. in over his head. But from there, the McAfee story just goes nuts. You know, like we um, talked about that documentary that was then made into the feature, uh, Foxcatcher. Yeah. And the way that the guy had a compound on which he was allowed to pretty much enact his will because yes. he had money. So he controlled people with the money that he had and yeah. what he could provide for them. The McAfee story is very much like that. He has this compound in Belize. He's got armed guards protecting him. He's paranoid because he thinks there's going to be a hit put out on him or someone's going to try and take all his stuff because he's a you know rich gringo. As the, you know, the documentary is called Gringo. He's seen as this rich gringo yeah. who has everything when the people around him have next to nothing. Now... <laughs> there are things in this that are eye-poppingly like sensational. I I don't even. There's one revelation on this thing involving what John McAfee used to do with young women on a hammock that I wouldn't even feel right <laughs> repeating Christ. on a okay, okay. on a nominally sort of family-oriented oh. show, no, uh, despite it. a little bit of swearing. But <laughs> the documentary filmmaking itself, I don't think, is the strongest. Okay. I think that it's one of those where you can see that the filmmaker wanted to get more access than she was allowed, right. got a bit frustrated, and then gets on a, a slightly uh, unbalanced sort of. Do you think then tries to assassinate his character because she hasn't got the access she wanted? Or the character is very easy to assassinate. Right. Okay. But when you see that, I can that coming, picture you posted of him. I can see why he might be an easy, yeah. easy target. But. When you see that when you see the, the, the angle that she comes at putting together some of the information you feel like we don't need this we don't need you to get needily when this this evidence sort of stands for itself I mean the yeah. guy judge for yourself when you watch the documentary but should probably be in prison right now for a very long time really? um, so yeah sensational material not fantastically well handled at all times but definitely interesting if you've got you know a, a bit of time of an evening uh, it's called Gringo The Dangerous Life of John McAfee where would I find it? Netflix, Netflix at the moment. Really? Yeah, I think it just went up in the last couple of weeks. Okay. So it's, it's there now. Cool. Homework, um, Paul. Homework, yes. I did my homework this week, you'd be pleased to know. Um, and it was Dark Horse, as we said earlier, directed by Todd Solons. Um, I've seen 
before only two Todd Solomon's films, and that was Happiness and Storytelling, both of which I really liked, and both of which I haven't seen for a very, 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 very long time. Um, so it was a pleasure, I would say, to be reacquainted with the work of uh, Mr. Solons. Um, oh, he's such a pleasurable director. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, so to the yeah, the premise of Dark Horse is basically I forget completely forgotten the actor's name. Do you remember it off the top of your head? Am I putting you on the spot here? Oh, the guy in the lead role. Uh, no, give me no, a second. Fair Keep talking. So yeah, so the premise is you've got this kind of likable schlub, I suppose, for want of a Hollywood stereotype character, um, who is in his mid thirties, uh, kind of into into his comic books, into his action figures, um, lives with a very uh, a very very grumpy Christopher Walken as a father, who's on fantastic form here, it has to be said, um, and your your likable schlub uh, meets Selma Blair's character at an wedding which is an awesome opening scene where everyone's dancing in the most ludicrous Hollywood way possible like it's like a pop music video and then the two of them are just sitting in silence and he, he takes a liking to Selma Blair Jordan um, Gelber by Jordan the way. Gelber that's the one takes a liking to Selma Blair's character um, and, and things escalate from there really and I'm not going to give any spoilers away because to spoil some of the uh, the dark dark darkly comic delights in this film would, would ruin it I think um, but it's yeah, it's Todd Solondz all the way, really. It's um, it's very black. It's I think very funny. Selma Blair reminds us of. It's a shame, really. I think her her playing the kind of the slightly damaged, kooky outsider. I'm not sure anyone does it much better than Selma Blair, to be fair. Right. Um, I think and she's she's very good at that. I should mention apologies from the corrections department for the fact that I said that Selma Blair was recently in the Intervention, which is a, this Netflix thing. It was Clea Duvall, both actresses from the sort of mid '90s. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, Paul, I, I'm glad you like this because for me, it's one of those where it's like a lot of Todd Solondz's stuff. It's so so sad. And then it'll just hit, he'll just hit you like on a particular, like your funny bone at a moment of just like such darkness and it will make you laugh out loud. That's it does. I mean, I it goes, it, I mean, he's much like, much like they the said, the two films I've, I've watched of his previously, there's the, some, some of the material is so dark and treated in such a way that you can't help but and see this as how it's meant to be ridiculous. Mm. Um, it's the, and don't get me wrong, it won't be to everyone's taste. And I appreciate that. There are people out there who won't find even. Like, I think Dark Horse is probably quite mild compared to some of the stuff he's covered. Certainly, in have you seen Wiener Dog yet? No, I haven't seen Wiener Dog yet. And that's so. a treat. For the yeah, so I think I think the yeah, the director. Yeah, yeah, I think there's some of the material in Dark Horse is probably is probably lighter than some of the stuff he's touched on, um, but still, I can appreciate it won't be to everyone's taste, and not everyone finds dark humor particularly funny. And Todd Solondz doesn't care, incidentally. No, it's um, not to everyone's taste. I do find dark humor funny, and I think he's very very good at it. I think there's a time and a place for dark humour, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And he's your, he's your go-to man. Um, last one, well, last one, homework for me, uh, set for me last week, Paul, was uh, The Rover, which is David Michaud, the guy who had directed War Machine, yes. and that's where we got the link. Uh, yeah. War Machine was reviewed in the features section of last week's show. Um, yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. It is a sort of... Is it fair to say sort of post-apocalyptic? It's not really post-apocalyptic. Is There's been some sort of global economic collapse, yeah. um, and we find Guy Pearce walking around Australia in a kind of dust bowl misery, um, populated by ne'er do wells who are any turn are going to nick all your stuff or kill you or both. Um, he has his car stolen early in the film and then pursues his car for reasons that we can't quite understand until much later, and I won't spoil them now. Um, across a landscape, yeah, as I say, sort of populated by almost exclusively bad types. Um, okay, 
I mentioned before that I saw Bonnie and Clyde at the end of the weekend, yeah. just gone, the one, the one that we just had. And unfortunately, maybe for David Michaud and for this film, I saw this hours after hearing revelations of what had gone down in London. And I think... Oh, Jesus, I wouldn't have I, recommended that. Yeah, I mean, I, I needed to see it this week. The and, rover is bleak. Yeah, this, this is <laughs> probably what I'm going to get to, Paul, is it just... I think that the filmmaking is very good. I think that the the vistas that you get, these sort of wide angle vistas are, are really beautiful is not the word, but um, is emotive and evocative of, of the of the desperation, I guess the desperate circumstances that people are living in in that environment. The performance at the center by Guy uh, Pierce is, is very strong. He's an actor that I quite like in, in most things, even Lock Up, which I saw recently is rubbish. Yeah. Lock Out, Lock Up, Lock Out. Lock out. Lockout, I think. Yeah, yeah. lockout. Yeah. Uh, this sort of space station copy. That is but, rubbish, yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- but overall, I just came down on the side of feeling like, di- do we need? Did we need this film? Did we? Did we need another film about about the sort of bleak depravity of man set against a sort of nihilistic backdrop? And yeah, just just bloodshed. Like I I don't know. I just didn't get off on the right foot with it. I think. And so as much as some of the performances were good, I think Guy Pearce is more than Robert Pattinson. So I don't think he's on his best form here. It's a lot better than War Machine, though, isn't it? It is definitely better than War Machine. Um, but for me, they were sort of both a little unengaging in very different ways. Okay. I I think. But like I say, I that is with the caveat that I watch this in a particular mood, and I think it's an interesting thing to point out sometimes is that we don't go into films as a blank slate. We no. don't. And sometimes you'll have a very different reaction to your mate or whatever about something. But really, if you stripped it back to how how you were as a person when you went in to see that or when you put that thing in the player, that might explain the take that you actually well, had. Well, I didn't, you know, I much I found Mindhorn funny a second time round than I did first time round. And normally it's the other way around with comedy because normally things catch you the first time you normally laugh more yeah. when you catch it when it's new. So that was an interesting point. But no, so I think I'm, I'm glad you watched it. It is bleak for anyone that's in, considering watching it at home. Do not watch it in a bad mood because it will make your mood considerably worse. And weirdly, um, sort of crossing over with, with the ideas in, in John Wick. Just yes, it does. I, I don't yes. want to say too much no, about no, the film. It, but, does, um, it does certainly do that. Uh, yes, okay. Let's get out of here because I'm aware that we need to uh, whip through the next section before we get to the feature. So, Paul, coming attraction. I'm going to do a really quick coming attraction here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. So, I my coming attraction is I've seen the trailer for Logan Lucky, uh, which is Steven Soderbergh's next film, which stars Daniel Craig, who appears to be overacting to the point of desperately trying to escape Bond, which is fair enough. I'm willing to <laughs> yeah, give him, willing to give him another go. It looks mm. like he's he's doing something very different. Um, peroxided hair, right? Yeah, peroxided yeah, hair. We've got good. we've got loads of people here. We've got um, Channing Tatum. We've got Adam Driver. We've got John Goodman. I think we've got lots of people. Um, now you just said it looks good. I think it looks terrible. This is the I coming attraction. No, I was, talk- I was, I was talking, talking about Daniel Craig. Uh, okay, Daniel yeah, Craig's performance look good. Looked good. Yeah. I think the film. I, well, I talked about Transformers last week, so <laughs> fair, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. Like I, I like Steven Soderbergh enough. I just feel to me this looks like. And by all means, listeners, correct me if you think I'm wrong. Watch the trailer and come back at me. I think this looks like Steven Soderbergh desperately trying to be the Coen Brothers, and I've got a horrible feeling it's going to come up feeling a bit like. A Coen Brothers kind of homage, or but just not the Coen Brothers. And obviously, if you watch the trailer, getting over the accents is going to be quite. Yeah, hard, I 
Yeah. In in a in a week that you know we're going to get onto the future of Wonder Woman, though, I should mention in this as well, Catherine Waterston. I don't know if you said. Uh, yes. Strong female uh, actress of she's things also like, in Logan Lucky. Yes. Things like Alien Covenant and uh, Riley Keough as well that we like yep. from um, American Honey and, and elsewhere. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. Like I can get on board with what you're saying. But I want it to be good. I would like it to be good. No, it. I would like it to be good. It's the kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that I think I should like, and I hope I do. I do. I've come. I am aware that I was coming across a bit negative. A bit negative there. But as I said, my concern is if it ends up looking like a poor man's Coen Brothers film, I'm just going to prefer to watch a Coen's film. And what the Coens do isn't easy to replicate. And I, Steven Soderbergh for me is a director who is so wildly inconsistent that when he hits, he hits big, and when he misses, he misses by a very wide mark. So we shall see. We yeah, I, I'm still mad at him for what he did when he directed Side Effects, but that's a story no, for another enough. day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my coming attraction then is a comedy because they are few and far between of a quality that I would want to, well, I would get excited about, I suppose. And this one I'm definitely excited about. It is The Big Sick, which stars Kamel Nanjiani and his, uh, oh, his co-star is Zoe Kazan, but I should say the story is based on his relationship with his wife, Emily V. Gordon, who is the co-writer with Kamel Nanjiani. Ninjani uh, on this project and it tells the story of yeah a love affair that has its ups and downs related to race and background and life circumstances and illness and all kinds of things but the cast looks fantastic it's directed by um, uh, Showalter Michael Showalter that you know from things like uh, Wet Hot American Summer which I really like haven't I would hasten to add and all kinds of good comedy business uh, Holly Hunter's in it Ray Romano's in it um, yeah just excited looks really funny um, and that's out in July I believe towards the second half of July yes look at that we did whip through comedy attractions well, bang we have good, done well there work. we have done well which brings us then with um, with something or other to a film another film <laughs> we were talking about. yeah that was it sexist Pete take us in (laughs) pick up the pieces from it Wonder Woman that's what we're doing Wonder Woman Wonder Woman smashing box office records all over the shop at least has been has been um, advertised in the last couple of days for a film directed by a female which is obviously going to be a big talking point when it comes to the fact that this project was directed by Patty Jenkins that most people may only know from directing Monster way yep. back in 2003 with Charlize Theron playing Eileen Warnus and doing that sort of transformation from pin-up beauty to like monstrous serial killer. Um, she's been working in, uh, I want to say luxury television, like premium television <laughs> since then. Television. Luxury television. It's like not that. just television. Yeah. It's luxury. Since then, um, but she is back behind the camera as a director of a feature. Uh, this one is also co-written and I think exec produced by Zack Schneider that we know from all kinds of films that feature speeded up then slowed down then speeded up action the uh, the woman's choice of feminist director Zack Snyder <laughs> yeah well, Zack, <laughs> Zack, Zack Snyder's partner also or wife I think Deborah uh, Snyder exec yes. produced and, and worked on this too but they worked together on stuff like um sucker punch and you know make of that what you will yes and batman superman sure oh yeah yeah uh in the lead role if you've been living under a rock you will be unaware the lead actress is gal godot i believe the t is pronounced the t is pronounced yes um alongside her is chris pine and um who else connie nilsson's in this robin wright uh, danny huston david fulis um amongst others oh ewan bremner uh, bremner bremer 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 from train spotting the sick note from train spotting but, um, Spud from Transpire. 
Sorry, I haven't even watched the sequel. <laughs> Confession listeners, I do not care about train spotting. I just reeled off the character that came to my head first. That guy looks like he's sick, so... Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, so um, do you want me to set the scene of the actual action, or can you do that? I mean, where should I think I can, I can set the scene. I can set the scene for you. So the, the film opens, we're very, much in, we're very much in kind of superhero origins movie territory here. Um, so the scene opens with a young, uh, with a young Wonder Woman, Diana, Diana Princess. Is it? Is that the name I'm looking for? They call her Diana Prince later Diana because Prince, she says yes. that she's the yes. princess of something. So you have I a yeah, the, the Mapley, I think, is, uh, is the place I'm looking for. But my Wonder Woman knowledge isn't great. There's other comics I'm better on, but Wonder Woman isn't one of them. Um, however, so yes, yeah, so the film starts kind of standard, standard origin movie territory, as I've already said. Um, with her growing up, she kind of. Is a bit rebellious, goes against her mother's wishes. Well, first um, of all, is played by a different actress as a child in a yes. sequence that I think is fantastic when yes. they're yeah training up young Amazonian yeah. warrior fighters, and she can't get involved because she's too young yes. initially. Right? And is very, is very keen to do that. And then as as she grows up, she she ends up as as one might expect. She's then allowed to fight, um, and then something happens. So, well, I'll, I'll give away what happens. Then. Uh, Chris Pine uh, is an escaped spy escaping from I think the Germans. Yeah. In the trailer, right? Escapes from the Germans, crashes basically into the island, and she saves him. And then um, Wonder Woman then gets dragged in basically to World War One, mm. um, and it goes from there really. While all the all the while we've got the background of the the um, Wonder Woman's people fighting against Ares, um, yeah, fighting against Ares basically, it's the World God War of War. It's got the Nazis in it. It's World War One. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it's right. not the Nazis in it because they talk about the Kaiser. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I believe it is. It is yeah. World War One because I think going in, I thought it was two, and then yeah. it is. It is World War One. Top correction there, though. Thank you. Cool. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yes. Uh, so, first thoughts on Wonder Woman are, uh, for me, very, very positive because. Um, we've talked about well a good handful of superhero movies on this show in the course yeah. of time we've been doing it right 45 episodes now and uh, generally I have a similar thing to say which is like I get quite tired of superhero movies I don't care too much about the cinematic universes that people harp on about forever I respect people who are more into comic books than I am and then the stories that go along with them and the sort of origins of the characters but for me I go in thinking I want to see an entertaining film yes first and foremost I would say that Wonder Woman for the most part is a very entertaining film I also think that Patty Jenkins has done a pretty fantastic job of delivering the material in such a way as to be um, empowering of her central character and to present action and the general depiction of the character in a f feminist um, even-handed way without ever seeming as though she's sort of pandering or just having to make choices to appease people who expect her to make a feminist Wonder Woman movie. So that is all to say that I think it's generally handled very well, save for a couple of things that we'll probably get onto in a bit. What do you think? I mean, you you like this film, I, I think, but what like, do you I like, like about it? I liked it, it enough, um, and I will positive, say... Like, what, what positive stuff have you got to say? Well, the comparative, compared to the two previous DC films, Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad, um, Wonder Woman is an absolute fucking masterpiece. Hell yeah. Well, like, there's, that's there's no, nice yeah, like, statement. Well, no, compared to those films. Yeah. But that, that sets the bar fairly low. That's not to say that I didn't like Wonder Woman, because I did like Wonder yeah. Woman. I thought Gal Gadot was absolutely superb. Um, her sort of wide-eyed naivety to the evils of the world was fantastic. Oh, the amount of acting she could do with, think, like, an eyebrow. Yeah, and I think her, her performance was was 
was amazing and genuinely amazing and I thought it brought some desperately needed humanity back to the DC films for sure and her fish out of the water kind of routine sorry Pete her fish out of the water kind of routine was exactly the kind of stuff they should have been doing with Clark Kent yeah Um, and I think Patty Jenkins has kind of taught Zack Snyder a lesson here of how to bring humanity back into comic book films which is exactly for whatever their strengths or weaknesses are Marvel managed to do with their characters is actually give them a human side as well Mm. so we're on to a winner in terms of performance, definitely. And I think it, you know the film is considerably better with what than what's come before it. Yeah. But that's not without some caveats. Right. And if you look at any of the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, which I suggest you don't do until, you know, if you haven't seen the film, obviously see that first. But any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, you can see this is not fake. Patty Jenkins' relationship with her star, Gal Gadot, is very, very supportive. They're very close. They clearly feel very comfortable working with each other. And there is then not one moment where Gal Gadot is just going to be, she, we all know, like everyone can come out of this movie and go like, oh, she's really fit. Like she looks amazing in that. Yeah, she does. Of course she does. But the, <laughs> but the she's thi- over six foot tall as well. Right. And you, I mean, she's got the, yeah, the look of the Amazonian princess that she is designed to Just try not to get caught. Thing. She is beautiful. We're getting, we're getting caught up in her beauty. No, I'm doing, <laughs> the, no, I'm doing the opposite of that. Because, no, I know, I know. Because I'm playing, we, but... yeah, it's, the point is that a female character being beautiful doesn't mean that a female character has to be leered at. No. And what we get here Agreed. is the presentation of a, a powerful, beautiful woman who can, you know, fight her own battles, both figuratively and literally, but at the same time isn't just treated like, oh, like there was a scene, and I think we talked about this before, that I would expect if Zack Snyder had directed this, for example, as, you know, the the, the number one which would have been Gal Gadot at some point, for no reason, getting out of a pool of water. Yeah. It would have happened. For sure it would have happened. In any film like this, they'd have that. I mean, look at even the end of Covenant recently, and I'm not, you know, ragging on Ridley Scott, but, like, there's a sequence at the end of that film, and you think, why does the female character need to be in this situation? Yeah, but there's also a sequence in Avengers 2 where Thor comes out of a pool of water topless. So, you know, the men are at it. The women, you know, it works both ways at times. Yes. The comic book movies are guilty of objectifying men as much as yes, they are Yes, it does, women. but, oh, but it's, it's funny you say that, because in this film, I did enjoy the fact that they had a good time sort of tongue-in-cheek objective riffing on the yeah, yeah they, they yeah. riff they riffed on the Absolutely. they riffed on the the obligatory male shirtless scene in the films and Absolutely. i like that but but just but but you know they are very much the marvel filmmakers are guilty of it for yes but in every are, marvel film is, there's an obligatory shirtless a, male scene this is not a balanced seesaw here this no is i'm not, not like, saying it is i'm not saying it is but this there is, are elements this is you know 80 years of female objectification on film compared with fleeting glances of men in speedos or whatever like, i'm not I'm not yeah. saying it's balanced. I, I, th- I agree yeah. with your point, yeah. but I yeah, I think that it's all basically to get to the conclusion that the the character Wonder Woman, I don't think could have been handled from that point of view any better than what I Patrick would agree with that. Yeah, the the camera doesn't objectify her, which you is mentioned... which is a refreshing refreshing change. Or or we give you that. Now you you mentioned um, caveats, but before we get to the sort of caveat section, <laughs> yeah, call it that. caveats, caveats yeah. uh, on this film anyway. Um, there's a whole sequence that takes place is like you said she goes to to join the the war effort um, in support of chris pine and, and what he's doing at the front or what he's been doing at the front and um we're taken to period london and uh, lucy davies is that her name yeah. from the the british version of the office uh turns up looking sort of shorter and older and tubbier than she does in real life so yes. obviously she's you know had to bite the bullet and take on that role but um yeah I just thought all of that stuff in London was so well done, like was so well handled, and and again the sort of um, n- n- like nods and winks to 
issues of um, the emancipation of women. Yeah, like what's a woman doing in the war room and that kind of thing. How's yeah, a woman was, supposed yes. to kick in a dress like this? Yeah. You know, th- those kinds of bits were, again, you would expect them to exist in a movie like this, but I'm glad that they were done in the way that they were and were genuinely funny, not just sort of hand-wringing and, yeah. and, and annoyed. Or... I did think, actually, when I saw the trailer, that Lucy Davis character would actually be probably proved to be an irritant, and she doesn't. She actually works quite well, which yeah. surprised me, because those are the bits. And especially because... The other two DC, the other DC movies. I'll go back to them again, but they are relevant because it's yeah, part of the of same series. Obviously, it was so lacking in humour in places that I felt that when they, they were like, oh look, they've been forced to cut humour into this, mm. and thankfully it's not. There are times when it is genuinely funny, and Chris Pine, I think, is on great form, and the chemistry, really the, game, the chemistry yeah. the two of them have, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, but, I mean, um, the whole sequence in the boat before we get to London, where they're. Uh, talking about the idea of sleeping with each other yes. and they conceive of that in two completely yes. different ways yeah. I mean yeah it's some really good writing as well we, we should say yeah. at this point yeah. now the caveat corner Paul you mentioned some the caveats, caveats. What, what are your caveats um, can we just have a fucking superhero movie that's under two hours long please oh dude I'm, I'm so why? with you on this point. <laughs> why 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 do they need to be over two hours long like in play and again for the most part I did like this film and I came out the cinema enjoying it um, I went at midnight so I really would have benefited a much shorter film <laughs> yeah, um, but it's just certain places it's so when it doesn't work it's so sort of lumpy and leaden and desperately trying to go look at this part of the DC universe and, and you've got just characters in there that don't really need to exist Danny Huston's character and the the Mrs. Poison Poison Dr. Poison I think her name is she seemed to serve no real purpose. Yeah, it's um, sort of like, I mean, correct me if this is a sort of rubbish stretch analogy, but it's sort of like the film is running down a hundred metres track, right? It's going at a great clip and it's getting towards the end and then it gets into the last like 20 metres of that race and gets stuck in a sort of syrup and of then, like so, yeah, superhero so, movie. Yeah, and then, you know, and then the other syrup it gets caught in is the, and this is, this is I think, Snyder's influence, unfortunately, here. It's just the massive CGI shit fest at the end. Some it of the just... CGI is, is surprisingly bad in this. Yes, in this and film, it's just really. it's like it's so CGI heavy that you are. I don't mind CGI when it works and when mm. it's in the right places, but it's the kind of it's it's a film that has such humanity for so much of it, mm. and, and Gal Gadot's performance is so such a human performance and and so engaging that when it does turn into just a big CGI shit fest. You just lose any perception of anyone being human in it and, at all. And look at bits that work, like the section with the uh, the back alley scene where Gal Gadot is, you know, sort of in disguise yeah. in London, and then has to show her fighting yes. skill in sort of hand to hand combat. Yeah. That stuff's great because it's not a screen full of CGI no. nonsense. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you on that. And then yeah, the, just the way that the thing is drawn to a conclusion, the final obligatory battle that we have to have between one super overpowered superhero and another overpowered superhero. It was the film deserved more than that. And yes, it's a shame that to be that. Agree. I mean, the sequence where I, I don't want to be like telling the entire plot of the film, but I think this pops up. When she goes over the trench, when she goes awesome, over yeah. the top, is is going to probably go down as one of my favourite scenes of the year. I'm not sure the film necessarily will make a top ten list, but like that scene is is an absolute joy. And from there, unfortunately, that's where we get into the sort of slightly yes. quagmire-ish last part of the 
the movie. So we're not going to get stuck in a quagmire. We're not going to go over two hours. No. So we're going to cut our review off. I think about here. I think I think we've said pretty much everything you say. I thought David yeah. Thewlis was a bit miscast, but um, but that yeah. drifts into I mean, spoiler territory. So yeah, I, don't I, I, I mentioned the fact that I I liked it from the perspective that you've got um you know female empowered female character fighting aging white man, which I thought was quite entertaining. There's the spoiler. It's <laughs> not a spoiler, is it? How's that a spoiler? Anyway, it. it explain why it's a spoiler would be to make it worse of a spoiler well that would probably be to make it exactly spoiler. let's move on anyway Wonder Woman a lot to like um, but not quite we're not quite there but we're a damn sight closer than we were I think would that would that be fair sorry closer to where we're closer to a, a good superhero film again to the DC super, yeah, it's a good, good it's a solid movie. superhero film it's not up there with the best superhero films but it's not far off I don't know man this is for me from a fairly uneducated position on superhero movies this is probably top three okay I would say Fair enough. But we'll see how that you know, see see how I feel about that in, you know, six, nine months' time. Yeah. Um that leaves us, Paul, with a homework section to do, I would say. Homework section, yes. So um do you wanna start? Yes, I will. Right. Um I will start. I am setting you because I believe you did say that your your boy, Scoop McNary, comes My up boy. on this podcast yeah. quite a lot. Um and the more the more films I see him in, and this sounds a bit horrible, the less and less I realise why we keep talking about him, but he is he is kind of cool, um, so I'm gonna. What give... is this fresh heresy? <laughs> well, Scoop... look at the last few films he's been in. Scoot McNary been... is beyond reproach. <laughs> I curse uh, so you, sir. I'm gonna give you then aftermath. Um, not I say Scoot McNary vehicle. It's not a Scoot McNary vehicle, but he is in aftermath. Okay. Um, do you know anything about aftermath? Do you know what it is? Uh, no idea, because when you told me about it uh, at some point, I think I was thinking of Aftershock, which is an no, which is an Eli Roth film, which is a lot of fun actually. Maybe that's another bit of homework if you haven't seen it. But um, so Aftermath is a Schwarzenegger movie, um, okay. where Schwarzenegger plays the a family man who loses his daughter and family in a plane crash. Um, due to an error on Scoot McNary's part as the air traffic controller. Oh, I've seen the trailer. You've okay. seen the trailer for I mean, So that's yours. Aftermath is your homework. Um, for you, Paul, you saw Todd Salonz's movie um, Dark Horse yeah. for the last homework. Decided to link to that homework with this homework because we talked about it and you hadn't yet seen Welcome to the Dollhouse, which is early Todd Salonz and is also a bit of a star-making turn for Heather Matarazzo, an actress who then got shit all over by Eli Roth in the rem- in the sequel to Hostel. Ah, uh, yes. I know who Curse him to hell. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for you, welcome to the dollhouse. Um, that's about it for today. We should probably wrap it up, shouldn't we? Let's wrap it up, then. So, at Stranger, <laughs> at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, Stranger in the Cinema uh, on the Facebook. The Facebook. The Facebook and the Instagram. The Facebook, that's how they all yep. say it. That's, all the kids are, are using the Facebook these days. And, um, yeah, get at us. Let us know what you thought of the episode. If you've got any opinions about the films. What did you think of Wonder Woman? Because everybody's got an opinion right now. Have uh, Give us your hot takes on that, yep. too. And we'll be back next week. Yes. Yeah, goodbye from me, Pete. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye from me, Jack.